Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Boston, Boston and Beyond, a podcast show of the Trotter Institute at UMass Boston. I'm Hetty V. Williams, your host. Today on Black in Boston and Beyond, we have Drs. Rachel Jessica Daniel, Director of the Center for Employee Enrichment and Development at Massasoit Community College, and Kareem Sauvignon, Executive Dean of the Massasoit Canton Campus, Campus, here to discuss the new Black Studies program at Massasoit Community College. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for taking time out in your very busy day. When I was looking into your your positions at the college, I said, I'm interviewing some heavy hitters (laughs) and they probably don't have too much time. (laughs) So let's see what we can do and talk about what I feel is a very important program in terms of of starting a new program in Black Studies our discussion today, given the the assault on Black and African studies nationwide, including the attacks on CRT, Black history, and Black folks more generally, I think it's just incredible what you've been able to pull off by creating a new program in such a climate. Mm. And so I want us to get into the details and make sure our listeners are aware of what you are up to at Massasoit. But before we get into that, I want you each, maybe we could start with uh, Rachel to talk a little bit about your background, teaching and research, how do you get into higher ed? Then we'll go to Karine to tell us a little bit about herself as well. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Williams. So I I started teaching when I was in, in grad school and I was really interested in learning about Black literature. In fact, I I was so green that in one of my first classes, they asked, why was I in grad school? I was like, I want to read everything Black people have written. And everybody laughed at me because it's an almost impossible task. But because I I had gone to a a mainly white school where we didn't um, have the chance to study Black black literature, I had no no clue of, of knowing before that time how, how much was was truly out was truly out there so i i dedicated myself to, to learning as much as i could specifically about black women's experiences um and that that is what drove me forward and now when i'm teaching my students i see students who are very much like me who are just like i'm tired of of learning the same uh, a, about the same three people the same three texts I, I want to have the chance to go deeper. So that's what's driven me to teach and research the way that I do. Thank you. Kareem, tell us about your journey into higher ed. So my journey started off pretty weird. I didn't start off in higher ed. I actually started off as a probation officer for the state of Massachusetts. And that led me to, of course, seeing the disparity in, in the cases that I've had throughout the five years I was there with who was committed to probation, what services I had to or not be able to provide because it was more about reform 
less about rehabilitation, more punitive in the sense of if they're not doing what they're supposed to do, you got to bring them back before the judge and and get them locked up. So that ideology didn't sit well with me. And I took a leap and ended up moving to Florida where I worked at Indian River Community College at the time. And that actually led way into me working for the criminal justice department and teaching criminal justice courses intro to juvenile justice, intro to criminal justice. And I wanted to take a different approach in teaching it in the sense of of community reform and understanding how laws pertain differently to different groups of people and how we can address that and, and make some changes. So having that opportunity to teach and being in Florida <laughs> right now, I am glad I left. So I ended up moving back to Boston and taking a job with Massasoit where I ended up running the Gateway to College program, which started off our early college model here at the institution. And just seeing the faces of those students and working with them in the classroom to pitch the concept of college and the opportunities and ability of completing college to this population of students is what egged me into moving forward into more curriculum development. So this is where I sit today. No comment on Florida. My goodness. I mean, and trying to make this thing national is just, it's scary. That's why when I came across this story, I said, this is, this is a big deal because folks are, are being, we're going back into the school season. And I was just reading a story about one school district somewhere in the South. I can't remember what state, but the, the teachers are so frightened yeah. mm-hmm. that their, their plans are being examined. And, um, you know, supervisors are searching for evidence of CRT in their lessons about black folks. Mm-hmm. That's some scary stuff. So, what I also want to ask you both too is your journey into higher as part of your journey into higher education. You are two well accomplished ladies academically and we could and professionally. So you could have gone anywhere, really. And so I want to talk about the community college experience a little bit and why you particularly chose to go into working at a community college. I started my teaching career at a community college. Yeah. Brookdale Community College in Lincroft, New Jersey. And I loved it. I also taught at Essex County College in Newark. And those were some of the best students I've ever had. They were vocal. They spoke up all the time. I used to have to kind of, I almost felt like I was I was exercising because I was always jumping around and moving around. Because <laughs> in a class of 30, 40 students in which they're all speaking. Yes. I mean, that is the greatest experience for me. And I'm glad that I've had it. So tell me about why you chose to to go into higher ed at a community college. Well, I love our students. I I first started teaching at at a community college in in Brooklyn that was a for-profit school as a part-time faculty member after I got my doctorate. And the students there were so engaged. They were so excited to learn. And I, I also recognized this was a chance to really move from theory to to, prax- to praxis, right? So the, the things that my students were learning in the classroom, they could apply in their actual lives. And I do believe that that is the power of 
Black studies, there are revolutionary philosophies Im- embedded in it. And I am someone who believes that teaching is one of the highest forms of, of activism that I could engage in. And so when I saw this, this, this is a chance not for just for students to, to write papers that they'll, they'll never think about, but something that they could, they could take a theory, they could figure out how it applies to their actual lives and run with it. That felt so so powerful, and because of that, I've I've, I've dedicated myself to, to continuing that effort. I also felt like it, it, it's not fair that only students in liberal arts colleges have this chance. I think all students should learn about these theories. When Dr. Kareen started this at Massasoit, I was fully on board because I knew how transformative it would be for our students, especially our our students on our main campus in Brockton. So for me, working in higher ed, I started in the community college and this experience at Massasoit has just been the best example of community college for me because I've had the opportunity to work with a variety of students, high school students, non-traditional students, working students, prison education. It's just kind of opened the door to work with different populations that look like me, that the community that I live in, where the institution is housed, we are the majority in the city and in the institution. So it's just given me the energy and excitement to be able to create for the students who want to seek out education, but don't know how So it's been more of my goal to be able to fill more seats with students who look like us and providing curriculum and opportunity academically in other programs aside from the Black Studies, which is my goal, but STEM programs and just having that ability to be that face for the students and for the community to know that someone is here that they can reach out to and working at an institution whose mission is just so broad in what we do and who we do it for, that it's given me the ability to be creative and expand on programming options for the populations that I enjoy working with. I really like these comments, especially about teaching as activism and the power of the community college experience which so many folks go into academia, you know, straight from their grad program into, you know, four-year college and tend to frown upon the community college experience, but they don't know what they're missing. I think you're both telling me, look, they don't know what they're missing. And I would totally agree with you. Uh, if you think of John Dewey's idea of the, lab- the, the classroom as a laboratory of democracy, mm. I would even go further and argue that it's the community college classroom. That's the laboratory of democracy. When you think about Black studies, you're thinking about the Black, the black Panthers, mm-hmm. Bobby Seale, and Huey Newton at Merritt College. At these colleges that are maybe not necessarily the four-year college. And I think that is an important point, which leads into our next question, which is about what inspired uh, the development of this program in Black studies, and especially now, because 
whether or not we get into the conversation of the blowback from any surrounding communities about it, it was a risk. And I don't think either of you, one of you probably see it as a risk, but given the assault on black folks and black studies right now in that context, right? So I, I want a little know a little bit more about um, the inspiration for this black studies program. Well, for this, I have to let Dr. Kareem speak because she has been actually working on this for 10 years, Dr. Williams. Wow. This is not something that happened overnight. It took, it was 10 years of her hard work and she shouldered it mainly by herself. There, there are people supporting her, but she led that. So I just want to applaud her for having this, this vision back in 2011 and 2012, that this is something that would be important for our students. Thank you, Rachel. Ten years. It's been a long time coming. And I tell you, initially, when it first started, the climate here wasn't what it is now. And I think the climate here has a lot to do with what's been going on throughout the United States and the response to that, which, you know, it's a catch-22 because as unfortunate as it is, it actually helped propel the need for this degree forward. So I'll start back with when I first came to Massasoit and I noticed the majority of students here um, and what they looked like, looked like me, were young at the time (laughs) and Black female, Black male. um, We were and still are minority majority um, institutions. So the students here were over 50% students of color, Black students. We categorize our Black students as Cape Verdean and Haitian and Black American. Within that is 36%. So it dawned on me that I remember coming to Massasoit and taking a class. I needed to transfer credits to another institution at the time. But actually being on the campus and seeing the students in the cafeteria, seeing them in the hallways, then seeing our curriculum, and how it didn't reflect that body mm-hmm. made me say, why are there not courses? So I started my research with just trying to understand what courses were on the books and what courses were actually running. So at that time, all we had was African-American literature one and two. And at that time, I was director for the Gateway to College program, which was our early college the start of our early college high school at the time. So we'd get students who come to us from different school districts and would question the courses that we had them take. Why aren't there any Black courses? Why can't I take an African-American history course? I took one in high school. Why don't we have that here? So that, again, made me search and see things that used to be on the books, but were never offered and taken off the books that made me approach the deans of those areas to say, you know, hey, what's up with that? Like, can we get these courses back? So those questions then turned into questions for me as to, well, why do we need them? Where are the students who are asking for them? We can't just bring the courses back. We don't have the faculty to teach them or the student interest. And then in my mind, I said, oh, I I will get you student interest. So I parked myself in the cafeteria and I developed the survey 
with questions about culturally responsive curriculum. And at that time, just with the attitude and the climate of, of the faculty and the institution, I thought it would be best that I include in that survey cultural responsive curriculum through race, gender, sexual orientation, and have all those opportunities for students to say, yes, they would like to see more courses in this area, yes, in that area, so that I can present this proposal to the division so that we can start to increase courses in those areas. So when I got the surveys back, and of course, stated what was the obvious, that students are tired of the same old U.S. History ones, the same old comp ones with no clear themed curriculum behind anything that I only heard back from one dean. One dean who had more oomph to her (laughs) at the time to get her faculty to understand we need these. And it probably made sense because her area was humanities. So I was able to, at that time, between um, 2012 and 2014, get courses on the books in the Black experience in music and the Black images in film. So she would run those courses along with her African-American lit courses, and those kicked off well. But as I went back to the social sciences to try to get more courses on the books, I got doors closed in my face because the way that our governance works here is that faculty presents curriculum and faculty gets curriculum approved. So me as a director of a program at the time, I didn't really hold any weight. So fast forward, unfortunately, years later, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, those incidents, Boston riots, Brockton riots, we got called to task by community agencies in our area that said, hey, you aren't speaking to the needs of the community. You need to do better. Mm -hmm. We don't see any relationship between the college and the South Shore Haitians United, the Cape Verdean Association, the Latino Association. We want to see more more response curriculum, more response to programming, more response to open door opportunities for students to know it's okay to come to Massasoit because you're welcome. And there are people here and courses here that speak to you and your culture for you to be able to take and apply to degree programs or work-related fields. Mm. So after hearing that, we addressed that with some non-credit courses that we ran, seminars we ran in the community. And it aligned with our racial equity agenda for the state that the Department of Higher Ed put forward. So once those two things kind of came to play within our institution, loud and clear, that gave me the opportunity to dive back into the concept of never mind classes, I want to go with a degree. So in addition to just adding classes, screw that. We're going to go ahead and say, we want a Black Studies degree. And I dare you to tell me that it doesn't hold weight when we have the majority of our students who identify as students of color, the community who we have to respond to saying that we're not doing enough. And now the state saying we need to do better with student recruitment, with curriculum, and with faculty recruitment of Black and Brown students and faculty here. So with that being said, I submitted curriculum, worked again with some of the departments. The courses 
had to go the route of being interdisciplinary courses because that's what I understood gave me a better angle to getting the curriculum approved. And we can delve into that later. But it made sense because the way that the degree was aligned was so that it was interdisciplinary and it provided humanity aspects, social science aspects for students to be able to explore the degree as an option or to at least explore classes that aligned with their degrees and satisfied their elective requirements. So that all happened in 2020. Spring of 23, I got the final approval from the Department of Higher Ed to offer the degree, and we're kicking the the degree off this fall. So in between 2020 and 2023, there was a lot of work done. As Rachel mentioned, there were a lot of people involved, herself included. The Bay State chapter of NCBAA, which is our affinity group for Black faculty and staff, were heavily involved. Some allies here helped to push some of the curriculum forward. So it was an idea that turned into a plan that made sense for the institution at the time. Again, knowing that in 2012, when I wanted to start this, the mindset wasn't there. The people who were here weren't really on board and they've left and the mindset has changed. So it's made it not easier because we're still going through some battles with the degree, but in a sense makes it so that there is no question as to is this degree valuable? Is this degree valuable and worthy in, in, in note to be able to offer as part of the offerings here at the college? So it's been a long road, still traveling, but happy to see that I'm not alone as people like Rachel's come on to the college and, and other colleagues have come on to the college that followed this belief that this degree is what is necessary and have the passion for it, that it's made it easier to fight the fight. Such an amazing journey. And you're telling me, so there were two classes. This is a decade-long struggle. Yes. From two classes to a major. That's a boss move. (laughs) It's just (laughs) mind-blowing. I mean, I'm just sitting here, and like I said, it's risk. It's a risk. You're still fighting in the trenches and to get this done and why I think I want other folks to know how to do it at their own community college or even at the four-year college, there's still resistance. Right. You know, to even disband the Seton Hall, the students at Seton Hall. Mm. I'm amazed by them. They took to Twitter and said, you will not, you will not take this from us. One of the oldest in the country. Mm -hmm. It was a department reduced to a program there was, you know, a threat to take it away. And they said, you will not. Yes, you can't dispute student voices. Data and student voices is what allows you to move initiatives forward here. So it was to the point where I got, you know, I I said it with my chest. You know, I dare you tell me no, because you've always said, what does the data say? Here's what the data says. Mm -hmm. You've always said, well, our students don't, well, no, this is what our students want. So at that point, it became between that supported by what our community said, what the Department of Higher Ed is saying, that I dare you tell me that it's not. 
It was the time, like I mentioned before, I was just on a wing and a prayer and it didn't happen, but now is that time. And I think nobody wants to look like, and I, I think Massachusetts does a good job of not wanting to look like the jerk in the CRT battle, right? in, in the DEI mm-hmm. battle. So mm-hmm. we've progressively moved in that direction of saying we're going to make sure we do ABC to make sure the affirmative action ruling doesn't prohibit students moving forward, that DEI is important, that CRT does make sense. So making sure I ride on those tails while the card is moving is the time to do it now. And I encourage other institutions, at least within Massachusetts, that are looking at adding curriculum, adding programming, that you rely on these pieces to add to your your fight and your justification for the need for this curriculum and, and culturally responsive curriculum as a whole. And I'll add, as as a faculty member, um, I started in Massasoit, I think, in January of 2017, and I was one of the main faculty members teaching the, the, the African-American literature courses. And students of all races wanted more. And so there were faculty members on campus who would alter their their syllabi within class to make sure that the students were getting what they needed. But with Dr. Kareen's vision and just just making it a whole program, it provides so much support for faculty members to be able to actually do this and not just I'm doing it for this one class. I'm, I'm going to add this one text here. So I'd say that student voices are, are critical, as is data as are faculty members, their knowledge and experience, but the work doesn't get done unless you have people at the top who can actually push it forward and make these changes. Because as a faculty member, I have I had no clue about what systems or you have to present here to these people so they could check this off. And so with Kareem's hard work. That's what really takes it and, and makes it a program. And so it's not just me alone in a class teaching and students saying, I'm tired of, of not learning more. She actually made it into a program and it took a lot of hard work on her part. You know, I think some great points were made about the fact that it's a misnomer to think that white students are not interested in Black history. They are. I teach currently my you know previous campus is primarily white very small if we had double digits in black students my most popular class was spike lee in the black aesthetic i mean i had the audacity to call it black aesthetic and folks their heads were exploding i don't even think that should be on the books what do you mean black aesthetic it's my most popular class is packed and stacked since i wrote it and put it on the books So, and it's one of my favorite classes to teach. And I still receive letters from students across the country who took that class and say, you know, this class really was transformative for me. So I think that's a a bunch of BS, really. It's all about white anxiety. I'm just curious, why do you think people are afraid of the term Black? Well, I mean, it makes me think about Toni Morrison's uh, book, 
where she talks about playing in, in the dark. dark yes <laughs> yes and I, I i look to that where she literally saying you know you're looking at black folks and through your fear you con- conjured an idea of blackness and which you still fetishize and fantasize right and, and play in the dark so it makes me sort of think about that, uh, but it's like fear of a black planet, you know, look at public enemy and what, what they're saying, you know, in that album, essentially saying that uh, this idea, well, I think also too white fear now, white anxieties, white folks are afraid to lose their grip on power. That's at the core of all of it. And what is that going to look like? And it's even the most progressive white folks. Because they are privileged in this system as it is. So they've lost the numbers games. It's game over. Because this country is going to be dominated by black and brown folks in another two decades. Talk about data. That's what the data suggests. Yes. I just wanted, I mean, I had the same answer. (laughs) I wasn't super radical on your podcast. Um, (laughs) That was a great conversation we're having. I, I love it. I, I have to have both of you back. I'm already saying this to myself. I said, I have to have these ladies back. Yes. This is too fun. I'm having a good time. It's same. It's always good when you can talk shop with people who get it and not right. have to justify mm-hmm. all the time what you're saying. Yeah. It's why I like the podcast format. And I. it's very similar to teaching for me. I got into it during the pandemic, you know, we were all trapped in in the home and I was like, oh, what am I, you know, I got to do something. And I started my first podcast a couple of years ago during the height of pandemic. And I feel like it allows us to have these sort of conversations with one another and free flowing conversations. Mm -hmm. And um, I use podcasts in my classroom. I assign them and, you know, different courses that I use, students tend to like them. Both of you, sure. Tell me more about the demographics, which you brought up already, of what they were and what they are now at the college, um, the racial and ethnic demographics at the present. So at the present, we're 36% Black. And that's an important note to make because when I was going through the whole idea of creating classes and creating a program and getting the backlash from it, I used that data at the time, it was 31% to support the need to seek out the discrepancy. Because not that I counted every single student, but the numbers on the books didn't match the numbers of all the bodies that I was seeing on campus. So we actually created, we have a team called Epic who worked on our admissions application to send out explanation as to why it's important for students to disclose their race and gender on applications. And more importantly, for me, it was so that a goal of mine is to become a predominantly Black institution recognized by the Federal Department of Education. We have an institution here in Boston, Roxbury Community College, shout out to them, who've actually made that Mark in our the is the first predominantly black institution among community colleges in Massachusetts, 
and we're we're running close behind because to be a PBI, you have to have 40% Black enrollment. So although our minority, our students of color enrollment is over 50%, our Black student enrollment is right now at 36%. So we're, we're making headway and have opened up that increase with this Black Studies degree. So the idea is that we'll be able to entice more students. And you mentioned white students as well. We've run classes where white students have taken the courses. But the main drive behind this degree as well for me was to increase the numbers and actually open the door to more opportunities for Black students to learn in a higher education setting. So we have done a lot of initiatives with Rachel and our Bay State Chapter Affinity Group created a Black graduating student ceremony where we acknowledge our graduates for the class of and giving them a ceremony similar to what Kane does with the Kente ceremonies to acknowledge Black graduates at the institutions. So in doing that, we're hoping to to reach those numbers soon. But with that 36%, we have 11% who identify as Haitian. We have 9% who identify as Cape Verdean, which is island off the coast of Africa for, for folks who aren't familiar with the population, because I know regionally we in Massachusetts have a big number of, of Cape Verdeans, and particularly in Brockton. Is, is a big number as well that make up our Black population in Brockton. So I want to shout that out and acknowledge them. And our Black American students are at 19%. So when we add up those numbers, we're also looking at our Hispanic population moving forward that has increased significantly where, and I need to go back to looking at the different years, but we were as low as 2% to now in 2023 being at 12%. So that number has increased. We're, we're seeing a lot of in the Brockton community, Ecuador, El Salvador, Guatemalan um, populations coming into the Brockton community. So this is another project to move forward as to how do we engage our brown students in activities and in curriculum as well. So I think those numbers speak highly to the point that community colleges make for their communities is to respond to who we serve and who our potential student populations are within the communities to engage them in curriculum that we have that speaks to their needs, speaks to their culture, invites them in so that they understand that college is attainable and is somewhere that is not scary because it provides opportunity to learn in different ways and different areas of growth so that everything is just not two plus two. But how does your culture influence how you get to four? And that was kind of deep, right? No, it's great. You did a great job of actually introducing me to the region, you know, as a, as a Jersey girl coming into yes. the New England, you know, zone. I, it, this is an education for me. Uh, we need to give a shout out to white folks and let them know the future is black and brown. Yes. Right. The data is clear. Mm-hmm. And so I want to know, as both of you as champions of this program, 
positive response from students, some faculty, still a battle. But also, were there any, you know, the critics in the community and so forth? Did did you receive any, you know, negative feedback? And I myself have over the years received death threats for things that I've said or um, just being an outspoken supporter of, of Black life and Black ideas and just negativity, you know, in social media and so on. So can we talk about that side of this? You know, they and it, and it didn't stop you and, and it's not going to stop you now, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that. I just want to jump in and say that there's always going to be pushback no matter we, where you go. And I, I, I want to speak to the way we've survived it before we get into, you know, the actual pushback. Having a group of people who can maintain the same vision with whom you can be honest about the struggle is so critical to sustaining your mental health when you do this work. So for people who are out there who are trying, most of this work, it's in addition to the jobs that we have, right? And so Kareen and I and and other people at, at the school would meet off campus. We would talk, we would comfort, and we would get back to work because the mission is so critical that we don't want to allow the things that have been negative to chase us from from the work. So I, I just want to just put that out there and I will toss it to Harine. The interesting piece is that whenever you are pro-Black, you're exclusionary, mm. you're racist. And it's not about that, in my opinion. And I use what you brought up, Dr. Williams, in regards to white students taking classes, Hispanic students taking classes, Asian students taking classes. It's a learning experience for all with an experience, a cultural experience that emphasizes the need for understanding real world application because our students will work in environments where they'll be the only Black person or they'll be in an environment with a lot of Black people. So building in those experiences in the classroom, I think, has broadened the views of some of the faculty here on campus and embracing the courses and opening the doors for them to say, well, why don't we have a program on this? Well, go ahead and create it then. Because I think if it speaks to the need of the masses, then it's something that needs to happen. It just so happens that Black studies, Black content, Black culture, Black experiences speaks to the needs of the masses. And it, it is not about being racist. It's not, and I'm not going to say not about being pro-Black because I'm bliggity, bliggity Black all day, every day. And if I can drive that point home to people and, and influence change behind that, then I'm good with that. But it's also not about shoving it down people's throats who don't want to be involved or who don't want to learn. But at least it helps people identify the opportunity to do so. And I just feel that our community has embraced it well. Other community colleges have embraced the idea well. The four-year institutions here have been very responsive and are very excited about the program and, and aligning with our, our program to provide pathways of articulation agreements. 
So I think, and again, with the students, they're excited. And I'll let Rachel tell her story about our students at the Black graduating ceremony, because that to me sealed it for me that this this had to happen. This is going to increase opportunity for our Black students to enroll in college education because they see that it there's more to it besides, again, sitting in the math class, adding two plus two, or sitting in a history class, and like Rachel said, learning about the same three people, but being able to have content where they can see themselves as contributors and experience what they don't know that will help make them better people in the future and in society because they'll have those tools behind them on how to carry themselves because they are kings and queens and they've learned their history behind that. I want to let Rachel tell her story just to add to that piece because it's, yeah, it makes me say, this is why we do what we do. Okay, Dr. Williams. So both Kareen and I are part of the Bay State chapter of the National Council on Black American Affairs, which is an affinity group that helps to increase the recruitment and retention of Black students, staff, and faculty. And what we wanted to do, there is always pushback when you do something that is, is seems to be super Black. And I've had people tell me, this event is too Black which has been frustrating, right? It's so like, look at our students. And so we may go to, to board meetings and say, we need this program. We have to support our students, so on and so forth. We show numbers on, on a spreadsheet. But I thought, you know, wouldn't it be so powerful if the people at our school could actually witness our students be celebrated for graduating as a collective, so that way the students feel honored. We are able to, to welcome in our community members and also that the people at the school would see these are our students. We have the pleasure and honor of serving all of them. So I called Kareen and I said, I really want us to have a graduation ceremony to celebrate our Black students. And we're hoping that this will encourage students who are going to graduate later, that they see themselves like I'm going to have a chance not only to walk across the big stage, but I'm, I'm going to have a chance to actually celebrate with drumming, with dancing, with song. And so Kareen made it happen. Kareen is the person who always makes it happen. And it was beautiful. We were able to honor about 50 students. The room was full of their, their family members and friends. We had food, we had singing, we had dancing, we had a really engaging speaker. And before it ended, people were, were rushing us on stage like, next year, we have to have more dancers. And next year, we have to have this. And so the school felt like a place that not only welcomed Black students, but where they actually belonged. And they're not anymore at the edges but they're right there in the center. And so that was so powerful. It, it makes you want to cry. <laughs> that has made every negative statement worth it just to see 
not just them, but their family members be so proud of them. And the the kids that came be so proud of them. It it was truly a, a beautiful thing. So it just sounds like a beautiful thing because, you know, you centered their humanity. Yeah. And that's what Black Studies does. So when folks attack it, it's really about, well, Black folks, you know, hey, uh, this whole idea, questioning humanity of Black folks when someone comes with that with that um, critique that this is being divisive or exclusionary. What they're really saying is um, Black folks are, to them, not categorized as human. I'm so passionate not only about teaching Black Studies courses, but the way that they're taught. Because you can teach Black history and focus on how oppressive everything is, Or you can teach it from the perspective of how Black folks have have always had some agency to resist. I'm really hoping that as we move forward in thinking about Black studies, that we would do what you said, which is to center the humanity of Black folks at all times. I really want for, for the people who are studying this work and learning to remember and to center the power that Black people have currently and have always had while understanding the systems of oppression that are very present. No, it's well said. It's absolutely an important point to make. So as we wrap things up, tell us just a little bit about, maybe list some of the courses, great courses that students could take, but also where a student would go or somebody listening to the to podcast would go if they want to sign up either for the course or the or the major. Sure. So students have an opportunity to visit the website to learn about the program. So on our massasoya.edu website under programs, you can do a search for Black Studies and it'll pull up the course along with our academic map, which outlines the sequence of courses by the semester. So some of the courses we're actually running this semester include African-American Lit 1, African-American History 1, and our Intro to Black Studies. And then come the second semester, we move into more courses that include Civil Rights and Black Power Movement. And I know that is a fan favorite of yours. So we're looking for faculty to teach. That's a plug. (laughs) Um, We also have a course called Caribbean History, People and Culture. And we have a course that I created because within my division, I house the visual arts program. So it's the Black Arts Movement with an emphasis on the visual artistry during the Harlem Renaissance period to today. So that's a course I'm excited and we're running with one of our high school partners, um, Boston Public Schools, in the fall. So we have other opportunities for high school articulation options where we're running courses with our New Heights Charter High School in Brockton to offer some of the courses. And moving forward, what students can expect are articulation alignments that we're building with UMass Boston. I'm in talks with UMass Amherst, with Simmons, with URI and their Black Studies degree to align our curriculum with theirs so that students have the opportunity to transfer. And we're also hoping to engage students in the HBCU culture. So we're working with some of the HBCUs as well with uh, Morgan and Coppin 
um, state to be able to align programs so that students, Black students who aren't necessarily in Black studies, but our students who are interested in HBCUs can have an opportunity to understand how their program can articulate into some of these institutions. So it's not just about the Black Studies degree. I think this degree is in combination with a lot of things that we're doing to move the Black initiative here at the institution between recognizing our Black students and their and their worth and value within the higher education system, within the community of Brockton, within the state of Massachusetts, that we want to be able to build safe space, fellowship with our students so that we can make sure we support each other so that we can continue on and, and progress and move on to additional higher ed institutions or move into fields where we're not represented and giving them those avenues to do so. I will put this information in the show notes. So if you can both just send me an email with any information, that way I can uh, put it in the show notes for our listeners so that they can click on and find out more about Black Studies at Massasoit Community College. Thank you both for taking this time in your busy day to join me on Black in Boston and beyond. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. This was wonderful. It was. I had such a fun time. We we have to have a part two and talk about something. Yes. (laughs) We covered a lot. We covered a lot here.